So we come to Canto 28, and I confess that this is a canto I have been wrestling with and rather dreaded having to speak about. It's because it's the canto that features the Prophet Muhammad, and it features him in an inevitably offensive way. Now, this is difficult for me on two accounts. First of all, I have greatly gained from reading particularly Sufi texts, um, and it is difficult to read a Christian text that so clearly denigrates um, the Prophet Muhammad. But it's also tricky because it's Dante denigrating the Prophet Muhammad. And that makes you ask, you know, what is Dante doing? What does he really see? How can we trust what he's telling us? Not just in this canto, but almost it makes you wonder about the rest of the Divine Comedy. It's definitely caused offence um, when it's been known about. Um, it's caused offence amongst Muslims. Um, Edward Said, in his famous book on Orientalism, said that Dante was one of the sort of writers um, in the Western tradition that fermented Orientalism. But I think that it can be approached uh, keeping clear eyes, understanding where Dante's attitudes came from, understanding exactly what he's doing actually in this canto. And also, as we've been doing throughout, following not just his literal word, but using that as a springboard to read between the lines of what he's communicating, what he knew he was communicating, but following further his force of flight to see what the spirit of his poem might be conveying to us, which is even over the horizon of what Dante realised. That's what it is to read inspired texts. That's what it is to read revelations. And so that's how I'm going to approach this canto now. It's the insight that truth actually lies in the imaginal zone. It's not in facts, it's not literally on the page, um, but for we humans reaching towards the greatest truths, it lies in the zone where we've given all we can to understand something and are in that space where we can receive an intuition or an inspiration from the source of truth, which you know lies beyond us. So let me just describe something of what actually happens. Um, the canto opens with um, the descriptions of several battles throughout history, and they're kind of heaped on one another, the descriptions, which mirrors the heaped bodies that the battlefields contained after the devastation of war. And Dante says that all these battles that you've heard about in history with um, the injury and the massacres that occurred in them have nothing on this ninth bolger that he's now looking down into. You'll remember that the previous canto had ended with him saying that he and Virgil proceeded to the ninth bolger where those who had sowed discord were going to be found. And the first soul that they see is Muhammad. He comes up to them, he's split from head to tail and is disemboweled as well. And he says, see how I tear myself apart. And alongside Muhammad um, is Ali, the founder of the Shia sect, 
Muhammad's um, son-in-law, and he too is is cut open. Um, I think this is Dante saying, schism just sows more schism. Muhammad explains what happens in this Bolgia, that they walk the great round of the chasm, and as they walk around, they're healed, but then devils appear and split them once more, the idea being that schism never heals. They see Dante and Virgil and notice that Dante is at least on his way into the chasm. They wonder what's going to happen to him. And Virgil speaks and says that Dante is a living soul. He is descending before he ascends. And he says, this is the truth that I confess to you. And at this word truth, a hundred of these schismatic souls look up. And it says quite interestingly that for a moment they forget their suffering. It's like for a moment they forget the suffering of the schism that they've caused, um, that has led them to be trapped here in hell. Um, they can almost hear literally the word the truth, maybe almost get a sense that the truth out there that they have lost in life, but it's not quite enough to help them to move on. Now Muhammad then makes a prophecy about a contemporary of Dante's called Fra Dolcino. And this is where we start to get a sense of what Dante really thinks about Muhammad, because Fra Dolcino was a Christian schismatic. He led a heretical sect that was put down by the church in the 13th century, and um, he ended up being burnt at the stake. And you might ask yourself, you know, why would um, Muhammad the prophet be interested in this particular Christian schismatic? And I think the reason why this makes sense to Dante's eyes, what he can see of the truth of hell, I say in parenthesis, is because he thought that Muhammad was a Christian schismatic as well. It sounds surprising to us now, who know so clearly that Muhammad is the founder of the Islamic faith. But in the medieval period, it was pretty standard to assume that Muhammad had been a Christian, some said a Christian cardinal even, who became frustrated that he wasn't being elevated in the church, and so led what was called the new law, that was a Christian uh, schism and so led lots of people who should be Christians um, uh, to uh, away from the church. Um, it was a kind of etiology of the Crusades as well. You know, again, Dante lives towards the tail end of the Crusades, but as we're going to find out subsequently, he had a crusader who died during a crusade in his own family. And so it's very likely that this story was what informed his view of the prophet. He sees him as a Christian schismatic. Dante's view of Islam uh, is more complicated than just that, though. Um, it's almost certain that he received um, more direct information about Islam from his teacher, um, Bruno Latini, who we've met in a previous round of hell, because it's known that Bruno had uh, spent some time in Moorish Spain, and moreover had done so during the period of coexistence between Christianity and Islam in Moorish Spain. Um, he spoke very wonderfully, actually, of um, the, um, the glories of Islamic civilization that he found there. 
And even more interestingly, he must have given Muhammad um, a copy of the Kitab um, al-Miraj. Now this was uh, an 11th century account of the Prophet's ascension into heaven, um, the so-called night journey, the one night journey. And um, very interestingly, um, it records there that Muhammad saw different levels of heaven and underneath different levels of hell. And it's now pretty well established, I think, that um, Dante borrowed from this Christian revelation, sorry, borrowed from this Islamic revelation of things to inform his Christian revelation of the divine comedy. Um, there's no purgatory in the Islamic tradition, um, but uh, uh, the idea of divisions of hell, divisions of heaven, um, clearly um, uh, is the beginning, so to seed in him, um, to understand what his visionary sight could see that became the divine comedy. So this is another side of Dante's relationship to Islam. It's part of what he brought to his imagination as he entered the imaginal zone and tried to perceive and articulate what he could of the truth of what he was seeing, what was being given to him, what was inspiring him. Um, we've already seen that he was informed by Islamic philosophy. Um, he was deeply influenced by Aristotle, who was interpreted through the Islamic uh, philosopher Averroes. Um, we're going to meet other Islamic influences um, throughout the Divine Comedy. So I think that really what this canto is about is holding a kind of tension that actually is not unfamiliar to us now, because as it were, on one side of Dante's psyche um, is this idea that there's a clash of civilizations between Christian Europe and um, Islam. Um, this was literally being played out in Dante's time through the Crusades. Um, it's uh, felt by some to be being played out now um, in the modern world too. Um, but there's this other side, which is um, how Islam was clearly the preserver of truth for Christian Europe um, through the so-called Dark Ages when Aristotle and lots of, of other philosophers weren't read. Um, they were being translated, interpreted, um, the traditions of those wisdoms kept alive um, in the Islamic um, world. And that then came back into Europe, particularly in southern um, Italy, around Sicily, places that Dante would have known directly. And so too you have that sense, which again is uh, becoming much more alive today now, that Islam is um, a tradition that has preserved truths when Europe had lost them, um, and reintroduce them back into the Western tradition. Um, and this is remembered in lots of words we use, of course, you know, like algebra, alchemy, um, a lot of um, astronomical terms. Um, you know, there's a rich kind of understanding of this now. So that's sort of the happier side um, of Dante's broader conception um, of Islam. And I think that the I the best I can do is hold those two sides in tension when I read this canto um, and use it to understand something about Dante the man, Dante the man of his times, who was doing what in a way we're, we're, we, we should try and do too, which is bring all that we think about in our times, all the, the understanding and insights of our times, um, but realise that we're reaching beyond 
the insights and understanding of our times. We now quite consciously see that in this canto when Dante talks about Muhammad. I mean, he just gets factual things wrong. Muhammad was not a Christian schismatic. Um, he is the founder of a new faith. Um, but that awkward, difficult starting point um, encourages us to follow the direction of his travel, follow his spirit. And that, of course, is the spirit that leads into all truth. To come back to the canto, um, after having conversed with Muhammad, um, we see Muhammad stepping away. It seems like he steps over a block almost. Um, again, Dante's understanding there, Muhammad had become a stumbling block um, for Christians. And then they encounter other split souls um, in slightly quicker succession now. Um, the first of them is actually an obscure figure to commentators now, um, but it's said that his face is split. And it seems that he was a political figure who encouraged um, a group of um, uh, souls, uh, human beings in life, um, to um, sail to what they thought, I think, was a peace conference. Um, only the ship was ambushed and so they drowned. The next figure that they encounter is a Roman figure called Curio, who was the advisor to Caesar, who encouraged Caesar to cross the Rubicon. And then they encounter uh, another figure called Mosca, who's a contemporary of Dante's, uh, an Italian, and he has bloody stumps. It's one of the sort of grimmest moments in quite a grim canto. Um, and uh, what he encouraged was nothing less than the Florentine Civil War. Um, he was behind the divisions of the Ghibellines and the Guelphs, so completely unsurprising that Dante sees him here. And indeed, when Mosca speaks to Dante, Dante comes back very harshly. Um, it's actually an intimation of some encounters we're going to see further down in hell now. Um, Dante actually condemns Mosca and his clan. Um, there's something in this canto about Dante speaking uh, from his heart as well as seeing with his eyes such as they can, um, but not unentangled with um, the mood of hell, not uh, with uh, the, certainly not the, um, the generosity of purgatory, let alone the light of paradise. And so I think there's some of that feeding through this canto, you know, with its grim images, um, with its very visceral descriptions of what's going on. You know, it's not a canto that has much psychological or theological insight. Um, I guess that's part of the meaning of schism as well, that the schismatics partly cause things to divide because they don't understand theological subtlety. They don't understand psychological nuance. Um, they're literal. They're fundamentalists, as we would put it today. And so um, that inability to hold multiplicity as a unity um, a key Aristotelian idea, in fact, um, which Dante gets, um, is impossible for them. And so instead of multiplicity speaking of the glorious unity of the divine, um, it leads to a scattering and a splitting and to a division um, in the body politic, as is played out um, in this canto. The final named figure that they see, again, is very famous in terms of Dante imagery, um, it's Bertrand de Born, and he is depicted as being decapitated, but holding his head as if a lantern. 
his head speaks and Dante says, you won't believe me when I tell you this is what I saw, but this was the evidence before my eyes and I'm as sure as my conscience will allow that this is what I saw. Again, I'm interested in this uh, confession that it's as short as his conscience would allow. Um, there is a vague sense that Dante knows that he's seeing what he saw in this canto through his own interpretative eyes. Um, and it's also interesting that um, he makes this remark in relation to Bertrand de Born because he, de Born, was himself a poet. Um, he was a particularly grim war poet who seems to have loved describing battle scenes, seems to have loved um, schism in other words. Um, and in fact, um, de Born says, um, you know, by my own wits, what I saw in life, I now hold as a lantern before me in death. Um, his, his, his eyes, his sight um, has become the light that he is now condemned to try and see hell in eternity. Um, and so there's kind of warning there as well about not taking too literally your own insights, but as I say, using them as a kind of springboard um, to, divine, to obtain ultimately divine sight, um, which this final character in this canto clearly fails to do. Then there's one final intimation that we should be following Dante's force of flight, not reading his descriptions literally as a fix for all eternity, like the souls that he sees, because this is, um, it ends with the one reference, direct use of the word contrapasso. Um, and uh, uh, it said, you know, this is the perfect contrapasso, um, the holding of the head like a lantern. Um, but I think this is kind of deeply ironic, um, hence the only single use of the word, um, because it's a very crude kind of contrapasso. It's very literal, very visceral. It's got none of the nuance and subtlety which makes us struggle with what these souls had really done, with what was really trapping these individuals in the depths of hell. Um, and so I think it's Dante saying, look, you can read my Divine Comedy um, rather literally by applying a kind of formula of contrapasso, you know, the rather um, crude, the punishment fits the crime kind of idea. Um, but that will only um, lead to a kind of um, fragmentation of the deeper insights. Um, you know, he makes this remark in the circle containing the schismatics. And I think that he's almost, Dante the poet, upon reflection, is almost warning us not to do that. We're invited to use all our learning, all our mental struggle, but also our imagination and to ask for divine inspiration and insight to bring that all together. And in fact, as this canto draws to a close, it's worth noting that this question of how to understand what you see, how to address what you see, is going to be picked up directly in the next canto as they continue in this Bolger.